Hello friends, here we are on The Real Dirt, and I'm with Jacob Strabia today. He's uh, looking for us a, a, a sack of, looking for the best sack of weed we got. I'm sure we're going to try a few. What, what did you, what'd you find over there, Jacob? Uh, I ended up settling on this uh, Wi-Fi OG for the first one. Settling on the Wi-Fi OG. Well, Jacob... Not really settling, I mean... Choosing. <laughs> choosing. My own free will. And choosing. Yeah, it's a great day in the studio today. It is uh, April 28th. There's a snowstorm raging outside the Real Dirt Studios in Denver. It's uh, kind of the end of the day for us. So we got uh, whiskey glasses in hand. There's a, there's a joint here to be had, I believe. Yeah, man. We're just going to sit back here and talk about some fine cannabis and uh, about hemp, about what's going on in the world of hemp how people are actively on the ground farming hemp, not just uh, the theory of it all. So, uh, yeah, why don't you start us out, Jacob? Looks like you've rolled up a uh, hog leg, I like to call it. (laughs) Yeah, we don't like to roll them small. It is the end of the day. No, man. There's no reason. Well, actually, I used to say there was no reason to smell. What? We don't have a lighter? Oh, my God. One of these pockets. Hey, Travis. Travis, get us a lighter. Travis, get us a lighter. All right. Thanks, Travis. Travis got us a lighter. Yeah, fire that Wi-Fi up there, man. There's a lot of politically correctness about cannabis even today. You know, on our Instagram page, we can't show people smoking ganja or hemp anymore. We can't do it on Facebook. We can't do it on Instagram. And I know people do it, and we've done it before, but we've we've also been in trouble for it. So, hey, we're not going to take any pictures of this uh, five-inch joint that Jacob's just rolled. You're just gonna like uh, five inches, ten inches. It's a ten. It's it, it. It is a rasta size joint. But Jacob is from Humboldt. But yeah, I agree. It is nonsense that you can't post that on on your Instagram. Man, I mean, with all the other stuff that's on Instagram, and you can't have some of the healing of the nation. It's like they're trying to make it cigarettes. Yeah, no doubt. It is. I mean, and you know, many people wonder why it's not ruled the same way tobacco is and smokable products. And I really think it is. They've just stayed away from it because it's not federally legal. So they can't say certain things necessarily, like you say about tobacco or tobacco substances. Yeah. No one's really broken through and tried to do that yet, but I'm sure it'll be coming soon. Yeah. With smokable hemp, I think we're really going to start to see it. Yeah. With smokable hemp, it's going to be everybody smoking hemp all the time. Oh yeah. Because if it's rolled just like a cigarette, packed just like a cigarette... People can smoke it in their car during traffic. You can smoke it walking on the street at the bar. Yeah. You're going to see people just like with the jewel pods. People that never smoked are going to start smoking. It's mm-hmm. going to be the social thing to do. People that don't smoke cannabis are going to smoke it. People that smoke cigarettes are going to mm-hmm. smoke it. Everyone's going to be smoking it. And ganja smokers smoke it too. I used to put it down and laugh at it a little bit, but uh, I probably never put it down because you know how I am about all things weed. But I, I laughed at it definitely the first time I hit it. And said, tastes like leaf. I'd smoked this before. And then after like the second or third try, I was like, actually, man, this is, this is really good. Oh, I mean, I'm myself personally, I've had times where I've had a bag of hemp and had a bag of weed and mixed them 50-50. And, you know, instead of smoking joints and being blasted all day, at least you kind of a little half and half. That's right. Gets because, you through. Yeah, we have, a, we have a policy at Cultivate Colorado. You can only smoke seven joints a day. And, then, you know, in an eight-hour day, that it, it kind of throws it off, man. This is just the weekends I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. No, just the weekends. That's right. On your off time. Down on the farm, you know, it's hard to smoke weed all day. We can't all be professionals like you, Chip. (laughs) Oh, you know, it's true. I do smoke weed as much as I can. Sometimes I don't get to as as much as as I want, but 
It's been really good lately, man. We've been smoking uh, that pure heart hemp strain lately. I smoked some today. We'll, sm- oh, I'll break some out in the show, maybe. Yeah, that stuff was pretty good. It's yeah. Nice lemony smell. Yeah, actually, do huge yielder, man. Huge nice. yielder. Yeah, we borrowed a uh, plant from a local hemp farmer here in uh, one of the last episodes of the Real Dirt, and three gallon plant ended up being like almost a half a pound. Wow! In a three gallon pot. Wow! Indoors under what size? In, light? Indoors right. under like four thirties. Oh wow! I mean, not four thirties. Sorry, 315s. that dates me right there. <laughs> that dates me. Three fifteens. Three fifteens. Yeah, the 430 was one of the first, um, let's see, come 1999, late 90s, uh, we basically only had 1,000-watt screw-in lamps, right? Metal halide came first, and then high-pressure sodium became after that. And 400-watt HPS, 400-watt metal halide, that's what we were all going. Well, what, what, wait, wait a second, you're from Humboldt. You know all this stuff. Yeah, air-cooled. Yeah, air, right. Air-cooled 400s, air-cooled 600s. <laughs> 430s was a special bulb by Phillips, and it was one of their first, like, real promoted to ganja growers agriculture bulbs. Do you, do you remember the 430s? I don't even remember the 430 no. Yeah, they were around for a small while, but the 600s came out right at the same time, and they just failed pitifully. And the 430s, they had, like, man, I might get this wrong, but I think they had a, a 400 and a 250 igniter, or four hundred. Oh, it was a 400 and, like, a a 100 igniter to ignite the 430 some <laughs> weird in there or something. yeah they had two in there and the 600s had the same thing it had a 400 and like a 250 so they were lighting you know 600 watt screw in phillips bulbs with 250 watt igniters you know like a That's 400 funny. and a 250 and so they they just sucked right but they got that shit together and the 600 quickly took over the 430 but now we have these 315s. That's what we were talking about, the LECs. Yeah, that that is the most popular light right now, I would say. A lot of people still doing double-ended. A lot of people liking the LEDs as well. The LECs, though, are ceramic metal halides. The amount you can get per gram per watt is almost unremarkable. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable, man. It really is. They're, they yield just as much per square foot as 1,000-watt lamp. Now, they also cost just as much if not a little bit more little so bit your more. initial build out is a little, a little bit, bit more if, yeah. if you're going to be flowering underneath them but, yeah, but you get better light penetration you get uv light you get everything that you're getting with an led as well right. as with a double-ended fixture all in one i'm a huge fan of them especially for veg i love them man i, lo- I love them veg and flower like how- however it works uh like clones because yeah. they, they also the cool thing about the lec is uh that they have two different bulbs you can use 3200K and the 4200K, is that right? Yeah, 42 and 31. Yeah, 31, 42. And they have a 10K too, which is like a finishing bulb that works really great right at the end, especially for resin producers. Mm, Yeah, right. Yeah, I've heard people, I've I've heard us talking about selling it, but um, I haven't seen it myself. I always forget, is 3100 the 31 is the flower, a little bit more red spectrum. 42 is the blue, a little bit more blue spectrum towards the white. Mm -hmm. So I would you, say 4,200 is the way to go hmm. um, if you're looking for one bulb to do the whole thing. Many people are taking, uh, doing 142 and 231s, putting three of them together. These lamps grow in, in, a, in a, about a three by three area. That's nine square feet. And, you know, 1,000 watts, double-ended 1,000 watts, most people grow in five by fives with those. And that's what most of the light tests, whenever we do light tests, that's what they say, right? Something like that. Five yeah, exactly. Five. Right, so that's 25 square feet. 
you know, for a thousand watts. So, I mean, you know, right off the bat, you can see how more, how much more efficient they are and, you know, and yeah, and, you're going to light more with less wattage yeah. if you're going to do it watt for watt if without you're a do doubt. It watt for watt. Yeah, totally, totally. And with veg, it's there a less intense light. So you're going to be able to put smaller plants in there. They're not going to have much shock. You see a lot tighter nodes. You see a lot more nodes, bushier plants faster. I think they're the way to go. Like I said, I, I tried to. They're more expensive. You they're more wanna, expensive, you but wanna... it's also you get more. I mean, you could get a T5 fixture and put the UV bulbs and then it would be more comparable, still not the same thing. Mm -hmm. But then you're looking at more expensive fixture just alone because each one of the bulbs is $30 and you got to yeah. buy eight of them. Right, right. You know, so what's the you know $150 fixture if you got to buy $220 worth of bulbs? <laughs> and the LEC, well, they say three by three. I know a lot of people, especially people that are just doing propagation for hemp. They're vegging moms. They're doing seedlings. They're putting them on a five by five for veg, you know, and they're oh, sure. no totally. problem. Just for ideal flower, three by three. If you're trying to retrofit an old veg or pallet racks, anything like that, they are amazing for that. Well, I mean, we saw the one bedroom a few weeks ago that was a 10 by 12 area and had four LECs in it, right? That's 120 square feet. Yeah, and had right, four of four. them. Exactly. And right. everything was raging. Everything, I mean, yeah, totally. You could take a thousand cuttings out of there right then. Right. So uh, it, it is really effective, man. But so is that what hemp farmers are buying, though? Are hemp farmers buying those for their propagation? It really depends on what style of propagation you're doing. I, I think it, about 50-50 people doing racks and then also people doing like rolling benches and lighting the whole area. You can fit more on a racks vertical system, but mm -hmm. you also don't need as much light. So we've sold a ton and the single bulb T5 fixtures are really popular. People doing two of them per shelf. You could fit four shelves on like the rack you go by at Target or whatever. Four domes per layer, 16 domes per the whole rack, 32 bulbs. It's a really cheap way to do it that way. Also, if you're doing, you know, 72 plugs in each thing, it's not a bad way to get 2,500 plants real quick. Yeah, absolutely. And people are also using the LED strips too, right? The the lower wattage. Yeah, the LED strips are really cool too. The exact same looking fixture, single bulb mounts right to whatever you want to. But instead of 54 watts, they're at like 24 watts. So right. you're using half the power. However, definitely uh, something you want to pay attention to is half the power means half the heat. Uh, if you need to, often need to keep the soil temperature, the medium temperature up on cuttings and seeds, you might want to consider that when you're putting all this together because they don't generate the same heat that a uh, traditional bulb a traditional would be. Bulb. And it's because they're half the watts. Exactly. It's exactly. not because they're, they generate less heat. Or less light. Or, or less light. Anything right. like it's, that. It's they're half the watts and... I mean, that, that one strip, that one LED strip does great, but it, it just doesn't add quite enough heat on shelves. Yeah, on, like on vertical shelves. On just vertical like, shelves, yeah. right. But also a lot of, I mean, I, I'm, an, I'm not opposed to it. I think it's not a bad thing to put all your propagation stuff in the same area that you're doing other vegging so you can use the heat that's there and you don't have to buy heating and mats and all that. So, I mean, And the crossover light if you can get it. Yeah, and, I don't hate on heating mats because part of my job to sell them, but I don't think people really need to use them all too much in propagation if you're doing it in a large commercial facility. Where, yeah, they're just a pain in the ass. Yeah, they're just a pain. They get too hot. You don't need it that hot. If you have your room dialed in, you should be able to propagate just in any space in your grow. Yeah, a absolutely. It is uh, an all an interconnecting system. And I mean, we people even buy shop lights, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and the shop lights, sure. they, they, it'll do the same job. 
a little bit less definitely would steer towards something with a little bit of UV penetration, especially for keeping pests and bugs down in the equation. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to be doing hemp, most likely you're going out into a field. Right. Love to get your plants a little bit of UV light used to that before they go out and actually experience it. Yeah, now that that's a, a great, great little segue there. So let's let's just start from the beginning on how people do this. So uh, often people start seats in flats. We'll go into that a little bit more detail later, but later. But they're either on vertical shelves with fluorescent or LED lights, or they have some other HPS light, double ended light, metal halide light, uh, three fifteen light that they're they're vegging these plants or starting these seeds under. Right. But when you take those plants, no matter how big they are, and put them directly outside, you have some problems. So it's, it's better if you can uh, have some crossover light or, you know, a, of, of a stronger light before they go outside. So, yeah, that's a big problem we see people have. They start them inside under fluorescence as soon as they take them outside. Yeah, they don't let them harden off at all. Yeah, right. And they just instantly are sad. Just, yeah, just but, yeah, that's the great thing sunburn. about the yeah, the ceramic metal halides is they offer that UV LED awful also offers UV. So in the intensity, man, you, you just get more intensity under those higher and higher wattage lights. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just going from a dark, it might look bright to you, but as soon as you go out into the actual sun, the plant's mm-hmm. going to think a little bit different. Yep, sunburn. <laughs> Let's talk seeds and clones. Okay. So we are literally selling millions of cells of seeds. For seeds and clones right now, if you're in the market, you're having problems getting root plugs, you're having problems getting trays, the inventory nationwide was underestimated. There's also been a slowdown in the hydroponic industry, the the grow store industry last year. So people ordered less this year. What types of demand pressures are we seeing? It's been crazy. I've never seen it like this with any product before, just because everybody has planned out that they're going to plant out, you know, 500,000 plants, a million plants, 3 million plants, 200,000 plants. Is there a number you hear daily? I mean, is there an average number? Is it all over the place? No, I'd say 500,000 to a million plants is pretty, pretty standard for what people are trying to plant out. Oh, how many acres is a million plants? I mean, it depends on how many plants you do per acre. Oh, right. Totally. Totally. 50 acres, 50 acres. If you're doing 2,000 plants per acre. 100,000 is 100,000 seeds at 2,000 an acre. Yeah, so 500 acres is a million seeds. Wow. So numerous people are calling us on daily about planting this many seeds. Yeah. And the problem is is nobody really expected there to be a surplus of, I mean, most other crops, they're not planting a million seeds and they're not having... Hundreds of farmers planting a million seeds. Right. Not in this specific way, right? Not in the root plugs, not in rock wool. I mean, rock wool, they've kind of bounced back and they're available now, but the root plugs still super scarce. People will, I mean, I think that people are underestimating the actual shortage of it. And when the time comes to plant and they go to buy the plugs, they're going to be left with, you know, 20,000 plugs when they need 500,000. For people who don't know and people who are thinking about it, let's describe the ways the difference between the root plugs and the rock wool and why people buy these products and how they use it. Yeah. So, I mean, one, the root plugs are a peat-based product, usually a peat or sometimes peat and cocoa-based product with some sort of polymer. They transplant super well into the field. You can use them in automated planters. You can use them in automated planters. Yeah, they fit everything. They fit the regular trays you need. They're the best bet to go right into the rock wool is what a lot of people use 
on the indoor and the cannabis side, especially commercially. I'm not a big fan of it for hemp just because you're putting this spun rock wool into a field. Harder to get out. It's not 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 that the peat ones are gonna necessarily biodegrade, but you're not gonna have spun rock everywhere all in your field. You could go both ways. It's back to the earth, bro. Back, it's to, back the to the earth. earth I'd, I'd rather do something from the earth back on the earth. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. People do have problems with that, but you absolutely can plant rock wool directly into the soil. Oh, absolutely. And, and do, people absolutely. Do and people this are all the, time. all the time. So, so what what size rock wool? What is this? Uh, the most popular ones are probably the one and a half inch cubes, like the sheets. And that's a 72? Uh, 98, 90, actually, 98. on the one and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the two yeah. inches are 50 per. And the two inches and are And 98 is still, I mean, that's almost pushing it a little bit. And what I, it really depends on how dialed in your environment is. Mm-hmm. But I, I personally like the 72, just because you get a little bit of airflow through there. If you're doing clones, you can take a little bit taller clone get a little bit more airflow, lose a lot less. When you put 96 clones in a 10 by 20 tray, yeah, sure. you're going to get some rot. You're going to lose some. And then as soon as you get a little bit of rot in there, it's just going to spread like wildfire. So the 96, that's a, that's preferred for seeds. I would say the 96 is definitely preferred for right. seeds because you're going to be able to put more in there, but they're also not going to be as hardy. They're not going to be growing as close together as big. Each plant's the, not going to take up as much space. And these are just flats, no cells. No, these are with cells. So this is a 10 by 20 bottom flat with a 96 or a 72 or a 50 cell that you would put your medium into, whether okay. it be rock wool, whether it be soil or whether it be a peat plug. So you have to buy a propagation tray. You have to buy a cell tray and the propagation tray can fit many different configurations. The propagation tray is just like your base. And that's the one that depending on your situation, if you have trays, like say you have long four by eight trays or you have long irrigation benches or anything like that you might not need the bottom tray although when you go to move it to the field you're definitely going to wish you had the bottom tray because that other tray is going to start falling apart on you absolutely get the sturdy bottom trays yeah so the bottom tray is basically a 10 by 20 black tray you can get them with or without holes people do both most people do with without holes just so they don't have water leaking all over the place and then the insert tray that goes into that, and that's where it goes anything from 32 cells all the way up to, you know, 144 cells. And each cell size is just a different rock wool size or a root plug size. Yeah, yeah. The 50 and the 72 are pretty universal. Uh, as soon as you get over that, it turns into a smaller plug. On the root plugs, these peat plugs, they look like a cone. They look like a cone, exactly. Right. They look like one of those little pieces of dirt you see when somebody comes and like tills up your lawn right before summer. Right. It pulls up all the little plugs. plugs. It looks exactly like that, but it's squishy like a sponge. They come moistened. Mm-hmm. Um, you could plant a clone or a seed directly into it. Whether it's the rock wool or the root plug, you take it, you insert it into your cell that goes into the propagation tray. Right. So, so yeah. yeah. So you did basically the, basically the, the plugs come in bulk. You get 1500 per case generally. So you go and you have somebody filling up all your trays, plugging up the inserts, putting the insert tray into the bottom tray, and then a whole nother crew of people just potting them up with either your seeds or your clones, whatever it may be. Right. And then after that, it's just throw a dome on it if you're in a place where you need high humidity. I mean, if you're popping seeds, you're definitely going to want a dome unless you're in some dial situation that you can actually control everything. Humidity is high. Yeah. Right, which is which, which has been so, getting really popular too, because yeah, the price for, of domes is crazy. It's just yeah, plastic; it's just you end plastic. up throwing it away. No more plastic island, bro. 
No more Plastic Island. And then the other way people do it, but it's not as popular, is buying the cells and then and then putting cocoa fiber or or some sort of potting medium in it. Yeah, it is probably the least popular, but I mean, I've grown hemp personally, and I loved that. I thought it worked great. I did a cocoa peat perlite blend, filled up the cells. Mm-hmm. Took a little bit longer for them to root, but once they did, they were blasting off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in a last ditch situation, I know it's a lot easier to plug plant into a plug. But I mean, if you absolutely have, it's not the worst thing in the world. We've got a propagation tray. So I, I soak my Rockwell cubes in the trays, right? Yeah. You would soak you, your Rockwell yeah, you rock in your the rock trays because the Rockwell comes dry. Rock. I like to pre-soak the other ones too, the rapid readers. By the time you're going to go and plant them, a lot of times they're dry. Do you pre-soak them, uh, the rapid readers in the trays or before the trays? Uh, you could do it either way. If you're doing it large scale, Probably best yeah. to do it beforehand, just pre-soak a bunch. Right. But it's right. not not terribly hard. And probably to, rock wool as well. Yeah, probably rock wool as well. Except right. for when you start pre-soaking them like that, you got to pre-soak it in the tray with rock wool. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to break on you on the way to the tray. Either soak it and then break it all up and yeah, soak put it, it in, in a pH cell. balance, colonic solution, any sort of rooting solution, B1 vitamins, Super Thrive, something like that. Something to give your plants just a little tiny boost. And then, yeah, after you do that, plug up your insert trays and ready to start going. And if it's rock wool, you want some type of a synthetic light nutrient. Uh, we we always promote cutting edge. It's a great three-part nutrient, but you could use uh, any numerous other, you know, uh, cutting or seedling starting yeah, and once nutrients. again, not not imperative, but you'll see way better results if you do. Yeah, yeah the little things you do when you're doing taking clones, especially on a large scale, that you know you, you spend two hundred dollars on a bottle of nutrients, and all your clones are happier, healthier, hardier. Uh-huh. Right, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it doesn't take much, that's for sure. Yes, being sterile—that's the number one. People always come in and say, "Oh, what product do I need to do this?" And it's not necessarily the product you need. Every one of those cloning products is going to get you the same result in the end. It's your process and how you take a clone or propagate or your seeds. Seed, or right. yeah, man. Hey, you know what? I th- we're done with that one joint. I think let's rummage through the bag. Rummage through. Yeah, see what hey, we can hey, find. Hey, yeah, yeah. Here we'll take a little break here, Jacob. Why don't you grab the bag and and like you know we want we want to make a game of it here. We can just like go grab back here. Just close my eyes, reach in there, see what we got here. <laughs> What do we got? Purple Punch. Purple, Purple Punch, Punch is Purple next Punch on the menu. Is. All right. Yeah, so uh, I'll let J- I'm going to let Jacob roll it up there. He is a superb joint roller. I don't know if, if any of you know Jacob out in public. You should challenge him to a joint off. He'd they be, won't win. They won't win. He'd be glad to roll your weed up into the largest joint you've ever seen. And, you know, it'll it'll also smoke smoke really excellent. Uh, you know, all things aside, I, often, I, I describe my show as like – you know, uh, uh, high level interviews with uh, a little Cheech and Chong. I'm feeling a little more Cheech and Chong today. Me and Jake Pat hung out for a while. Uh, we we always smoke lots of weed together, so it, it's it's a good to get into the Cheech phase. It is serious. This is a, a serious uh, thing we're talking about. Cannabis legalization, the cannabis business movement is going on all over the world. And, uh, you know, you just got to be prepared for it. You got to use the best equipment. You really have to uh, gain the best knowledge. And if you want really expert advice, just give Jacob a call and email him. His email is jacob at cultivatecolorado.com. And he can answer 
pretty much any question you have about equipment to propagate and grow hemp or ganja. And, you know, it, it, when we get calls, interesting calls at the shop, you know, a, a client wants a, a, a certain product or something that we don't have. It's we always have this great water cooler talk or picnic table because we have this big picnic table in our break room. And, and we talk about your special cases. So uh, if you, if you want to be uh, talked about and you got a special case, just give Jacob an email. Jacob at CultivateColorado.com. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, we'll, we'll help you out, man. Yeah, well, come grow with us. Damn, man, I tell you, you always roll a, a, an incredible, incredible joint. You should be a professional. But then you Semi-professional. Then, semi-pro, you're going to go semi-pro. But uh, if you did that, then you wouldn't work with me anymore. Hey, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. What, what was the first, uh, Jacob's been working with me forever. What was the first job? Probably... First, first job, probably de-leafing. De-leafing. Probably in de-leafing in some greenhouse, yeah. <laughs> we, won't maybe how, we won't say how old you were. <laughs> so maybe some watering. There's a lot of jobs in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, all kidding aside. Uh, yeah, Jacob was one of my first employees in 2009 at Cultivate Colorado. Our first store was in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, and... I'd just really gotten Royal Gold started and rolling at the time. And uh, Jacob was graduating high school. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to get out of town and go to Denver. That was the move to make, without a doubt. Oh, without a doubt, dude. It was, uh, you know, I've been chasing the I've been chasing the ganja for most of my life. And uh, Denver has been really, really awesome. Oh, when it kicked off too, 2000, I mean, I got here 2009. That was even late. It was still amazing. Even coming from Humboldt. Yeah, I mean, no, that you you were here right when it hit before actual legalization, but it was still medical, and like people had been here before us, and they were doing it, and like mm-hmm. they well, were doing all- it good, and like there was like, you know, you came out here thinking it was going to be one way, and it was like, oh wow, people are doing it the same way they've been doing it out there. You know, people are respectable, yeah. ready to grow, and the whole way the industry has grown has just enabled people to create better and better weed, and actually science the fuck out of some weed. Yeah, I mean, all of the all the metadata people have been gathering, all the technology that monitors your room environment, your room temperature, your your plant moisture level, the vapor pressure deficit, and like, all the everything you get to analyze it now and be like, damn man, look at that that crop fucking crushed it. What was different about that? Crop? You can go back exactly and chart it and look mm-hmm. exactly where in the past it was like, oh, I don't know, maybe I just. <laughs> Messed up and got something better, you know? Right, right. But now it's like, oh, I can attribute it to this. I can attribute it to the higher humidity and temperature dialed in when I need it to be. And Yeah. Everything. Because, you, you know, previously too, and still today, ganja growers, are they're fishermen. And it's always, I got a fish this big. So when someone hits a high, in the past, when they hit high yields, like that was their like high yield. And everything else was that same yield, high or not. And you still get it today, but now they like people wave the proof. Oh, now that everything is collected and via metric and you can actually see exactly how much you got from every plant. And like it really makes everybody kind of I don't know, hold truer to their words a little bit. You know, it takes yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, we all have this perception too on on how and what to do, just like we're talking about with seeds and propagation you know many many people who are new to the hemp industry they have their idea on how they should do it 
And, you know, I'm sure there's some awesome innovation and that's how we get to, you know, better places in the world. But really what we see and promote at, at Cultivate Colorado is when we see trends, when we see people doing it one way, they get success. Success breeds like, you know, more purchasing of the same equipment. Success breeds success. I yeah. mean, if you if you try one thing and it blows what you were doing out of the water beforehand, why would you ever go back to the original thing? Wow, that purple punch is good. Mm. It tastes great, man. It doesn't it doesn't get me that high like you know some. Well, first OG thing Saturday morning, or, it does great. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a right. great great social smoker too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh yeah, that's great. Talking about conventional planning methods. Yeah. And absolutely, you can just put some soil in some cells and they will plant, your seeds will will sprout and you'll think they do fine and they will. But we're just saying that most people use rock wool or root plugs of some sort because they're really easy to handle. They pop out of the cells easy. They plant in the ground They easily. go right into the automated planters, which is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, last year I saw people that were trying to get creative and save some money here and there. And then they went to go and plant them and it was a nightmare. Yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, we, we've seen all types of really like interesting ways to handle it. You know, wagons on the back of tractors with seats on, you know, old bicycle type things, <laughs> you know, and just like riding on the side of trailers real slow and people just you know, plant out the, the seeds, the, the, the plantlets. Yeah. Someone's packing holes and yeah, someone's packing pants. Yeah. We've seen like the most professional operations that's completely automated with planting wheels, you know, that, that, that lays down your irrigation, your mulch, puts uh, a hole in the mulch and then plants the seed in it, the, the plug in it all at the same time. Does everything for you. Does everything for you. Real yeah. simple. All you got to do is take the plant. All you got to do is take the clone, get it to the machine, mm-hmm. operate the machine, which isn't necessarily the easiest thing all the time. Yeah, 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 no doubt. And you don't, you know, you can hand plant out acres and acres of weed by yourself, you know, with a crew of people. You do not need equipment necessarily. If you only have like 10 or 20 acres, man, you can pretty much just do that by yourself. You can walk it. You can have a, a vehicle, a quad with a trailer or just a truck, you know, with a pulling a trailer. Like there's all kinds of ways you can do it. Oh, yeah, and I, you know? I don't even mean to jump in, but I feel like I do have a little first-hand experience first-hand, a little J- bit. Jacob yeah. is a hemp farmer. We did a little uh, hemp farm last year just to experiment. We wanted to get our hands on all the products we were selling and everything that we were using just so we can kind of know a little bit about it, a little bit more knowledgeable, leads to a little bit better end result. And yeah, we planted two acres by hand, two people. Uh, it went about, you know, eight hours each day, day and a half. Not bad. You know, oh, not bad at, at all. Look at that. It can be done. It can be done is all I'm saying. Now, Jacob's a hard worker, and I, I don't know the guy Morris he had with him. I don't know how hard worker he oh, is. Oh, he's even harder working than me. <laughs> I probably did a quarter of the field. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally being sarcastic. I know, <laughs> I know Jacob was out like, oh, hey, Morris, yeah, my back. move that oh. plan over a little bit more. But it can be done. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I've talked to people who literally just, you know, walk the fields, right? And just just like you plant trees, just plant the plants maybe not for 500 acres but you know for a few acres you yeah. could do even a quarter acre there's nothing that's too small i don't think for hemp especially right oh, man, now where do, the market's you at do, you could do 40 acres man 
it's just walking it, man, you know, like a, especially if you have the root plugs or if they're in rock wool. Oh yeah. Right. You, you just go like lay all your trays out, pick them up, put them in a bag and just like have some type of, you know, in the tree planting industry, we have these things called hoe digs, right? And it's this, this, this mallet that you swing with one hand and the, the weight and the force of it will pull back just enough, uh, uh, soil and then you throw a tree in there and then you step on it. Right. Pretty much stamp on the tree in the hole. So, I mean, I, I I'm sure that it's that easy. It is. Right. You, you can, That's what you right. can do anything. We did it. We did two acres. We had no power water off a generator, all of our irrigation run off of basically pressure from just an gravity uns- An unsophisticated yeah. operation or, or highly backwoods sophisticated backwards sophisticated absolutely sophisticated right totally no but if you can do it there. in that situation you can do it in any situation yeah, many agriculture things are man so uh hey man let's let's since we're talking propagation let's just go right into seeds for a minute now that's something that we don't really deal in at cultivate but like let's just what what are people planting everybody is planting feminized seeds fem seeds yeah everybody's planting why feminized do you want, seeds. for those that don't know why do you want fem seeds you want a feminized seed because you want a feminized plant a feminized mm-hmm. plant or a female plant is going to produce the flowers that everybody wants a male plant is just going to produce pollen which is going to be negative in the effect that you don't want a bunch of seeds coming from pollen you're not really sure where it's from right now people do plant traditional seeds Absolutely. Right. And they just either don't care or they pull the males out. Or they pull the males out or they're going for fiber or they're going for seed or mm-hmm. there's many applications. But the most of the hemp farmers today and everyone that's kind of jumping on the rush is looking for a feminized plant, whether it be seed or a guaranteed female clone. I'm a proponent of uh, the, the male and female plants to some degree, but it absolutely requires far less work to just pay the money. Oh, in traditional cannabis... Always male, female. You got to do that, especially to find the good genetics and the actual strain you really want. If I were growing a a bunch of hemp, I would probably make my own seeds, right? And I would end up with some of those at least being traditional seeds. I'd fem it for sure, but I'd probably grow a bunch of traditional seeds too. It it also depends on how experienced you are growing as well. Sure. Because, and it also depends, I mean... There's so many different factors that go into it. We talk about it in our shop every single day with people that, you know, even though it may be a feminized seed, is it guaranteed feminized seed? Is it? No. And I see on many people's labels that it says like 90% or 92%. That 8% like can that. be detrimental. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't, many people are going to disagree with me on this, but like I was in a field last year, 40 acres, and they had several males in this one area and the the pollen around those plants was heavy, but as you got like a hundred feet away in all directions, you started not to see plants that were heavily seeded. Right. I could see your point in that where that the pollen maybe doesn't spread too far. It really like it depends also what your end goal is for the crop. You know, if if some seed spreading a little bit is going to be detrimental, you no, can't have it. If it's not going to be a problem. You know, it really depends. Are you extracting? Are you, you going for fiber? you think the ganja farmer down the street is going to be super fucking pissed at you for some reason, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't do it. That might be a battle that people are facing this year, especially, I mean, a lot of people are going into areas where there's already established commercial grows that, I mean, they have been there for you know, seven years now and they pay their taxes and they don't want some hemp farmer coming in and planting their 90% feminized seed because mm-hmm. that little bit of pollen, if it drifts into their greenhouse... That could be detrimental crop loss for their actual 
you know, commercial cannabis business right. that is getting affected now by someone that's just, you know, threw out a bunch of seeds recklessly. Sure. Yeah. And we've got all this stuff going on in Oklahoma right now. Uh, we're, we're setting up a grow store, Cultivate OKC, Cultivate Garden Supply there in Oklahoma City. And we've been uh, down in Oklahoma City a bunch the past four months. It's really hot and heavy down there in the medical cannabis scene is as well as hemp but uh apparently there's lots of wild hemp growing in northern oklahoma and i talked to many people that were like oh there's no way you can plant outdoor ganja here because of the outdoor hemp just because the outdoor hemp outdoor will hemp. pollinate the ganja so now, bad that yeah i don't i don't know I, I i really do think that's fearful and if you're if you are in those areas then you probably it's not going to work out so well and you're probably you. already aware of it too if you're in those areas yeah exactly yeah you're right you're right about that you, if, you would hope i mean well, you know I mean, you never do know you never do know but it always is the unknown that will come and get you just like you could think you're doing everything right and your neighbor's completely reckless and they bought you know unguaranteed oh. feminized seed and all of a sudden you know they have 25 acres of male plants that they're well, not in a hurry to cut down you know it is it is a, a a fertilization plants are animals and just like with animals with humans with dogs it doesn't always stick no true very true it you know doesn't always stick so even though like there is this you know chance of pollination it doesn't always stick necessarily no yeah it's, it's all speculative too right. What genetics are people planning? What's, what's the names? Um, I mean, I think the real popular ones from the last few years have been like the cherry wine. Cherries. Yeah, the cherry crosses, cherry wines, the wife, T1, real popular. Oh, real small, easy to grow. Yeah, easy to grow, easy to manage. Mm-hmm. I think this, now with the growing hemp industry, we're going to see a lot of cool new crosses and a lot of cool new nude strains oh yeah i don't know if every one of them is going to be a grand slam but there's definitely going to be some cool stuff especially Mm -hmm. with people trying to cater towards smokable hemp or like connoisseur grade hemp that Mm -hmm. just looks amazing smells just like actual cannabis you get all the terpene flavors that come through totally there's gonna be some awesome strains that come through like that that have under the 0.3 thc and smoke, smoke great, like look great. Taste, yeah, no oh, I'm excited for that. For sure. under, and this year is going to be huge. It's under development now. That's for sure. Absolutely. Now. I'm Absolutely. looking forward to seeing it. All right. You got your hemp seedling, your clone, whatever you, whatever you just planted. And you're going to put it in the, you're going to go put it in the field. Now, uh, there's two things that, that cannabis pretty much has to have. And that's water and nutrition. What's the, the main irrigation technique people are using? So with irrigation, I guess the first way to preface it would be every irrigation situation is different different and it's definitely dependent on where you are growing, what your land is. It can be everything down to the slope of your land to, you know, are you growing in the South or are you growing in the high desert, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But the thing is with that is they also make something for every single application. Yeah, because, yeah, agriculture is huge. It's It's huge everywhere. And the whole point of drip irrigation was it was invented in the desert where they have no water and they have to make it spread. And hence you get this amazing technology that you're saving water as well as growing plants to their full capacity. So here in Colorado, we see three primary types of irrigation. We see ditch irrigation, yep. which is uh, you you buy you buy shares into a uh, federal water, state water. You buy rights to water so that you can. It's it's probably the least economical because you're using the most amount of water. Right, and you basically flood your field yep. 
and uh, uh, it's these real rudimentary like redirects with plastic. It's re- it's a real simple system, but you're basically just flooding the field. You're basically flooding the field, and you have right. less control out of into what goes to your plants as well as like if you haven't been doing it on that property for a long time, right. it's real easy to overwater and right. real easy to underwater. Yeah, but but uh, simple. Really simple, simple thing to put together. Very rudimentary, cheap right. to install, but over the long run, you're going to use you're going to use more water, and yeah. you can't dial it in right. as much as some other methods. And then there's there's pivot ir- irrigation, and both of these uh, the 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 ditch irrigation and the pivot irrigation they're predominant to large scale agriculture in Colorado and all over the world. Absolutely, pivots. I mean, probably probably predominant everywhere. Yeah? yeah, you see them when you fly anywhere. You see the pivots, yeah. the big circles when you're looking out of the exactly. plane. Exactly, and and these are a, a large boom that's hooked to a well and it goes it, it, it's on wheels and it rolls through the the rows a sprayer every so many feet five feet or something right uh, a real like easy overhead irrigation yeah overhead irrigation it's 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 a uh, similar to a, a sprinkler but not quite i do see large sprinklers here too yeah right i do see large sprinklers here too but it's not uh it's not really a predominant irrigation platform on commercial agriculture no right because many people getting into hemp right now are already into commercial agriculture so they just use them whatever they got and the only way you do see sprinklers but it's always the drop down overhead sprinklers Mm -hmm. which are great in greenhouses for small irrigation for propagation and small plants anything that you could overhead irrigate like that and be able to penetrate to the soil and water it to the capacity you need to especially for seedlings cheap way to do it as well as you can do huge areas the thing that we see rising the most um, and is probably the, the, the most cost effective as well as uh, has the most plastic and is uh, totally disposable and you just throw everything away when you're done with it if you want is drip irrigation. Yeah, drip irrigation is the way a lot of people's minds just go to when they think about field yep. crops because plastic mulch and drip tape exactly plastic mulch and drip tape you can get a machine that lays it all down it might not be the most economically friendly in the long run but they do have options now that you can use for multiple seasons you don't have to throw it away every year but it really is the easiest way to just propagate in straight rows yeah. it lays down easy you can plant your plants directly into it totally now i mean we're just talking plastic mulch and this is a white black mulch in the simplest form you just have a, a mound that you cover with plastic mulch, a plastic sheet, basically. And then uh, wherever you want to put a plant, you just poke a hole right in the plastic. When you put this plastic down, you also put in uh, drip irrigation. You put in drip tape. Yeah, so the drip tape really is dependent on what type of soil you're going into um, and how fast you want the water to spread in there. So they have everything you could imagine in drip tape from spacing, you know, eight inches apart, 12 inches apart, 36 inches apart, 48 inches apart to, you know, 0.8 gallons per hour to 0.11 to whatever, whatever you could think of. And everything's going to be dependent on how fast your 
particular ground is going to absorb water. You you really need a professional to plan this out for you on a large scale. Absolutely. Now, after it's planned out, you can put it in yourself or like hire a team of people to put it in. But you really need a a specialty. I mean, we don't even do that in house. No, we we we, we we still have equipment. Yeah, we work with companies just like Netafim that would be more than happy to help anybody that's looking for information on this. Yeah, because every every single application, I can't stress that enough, is different. Absolutely, and what works for your neighbor might not work for you. Yeah, absolutely. If you're interested in plastic mulch and drip irrigation, it's a also again you can contact Jacob. It's a service that you absolutely want to be designed out for you. It's not that expensive. And then you can put it in if you want, or you can hire somebody to put the stuff in. Right. And we, we sell all the equipment, but we don't install it. We always find like local installers or we you know yeah, work third with party major people that do manufacturers. that manufacturers. Yeah. And they'll literally like come in and put down 40 acres in a day. Yeah. And they are experienced in doing it. They know all the parts. Right. They know how everything works. I mean, it's, it's easy to understand how it works, but once you actually go and start laying it down, it can get a little bit more difficult. Oh man, you know, we're, we're, we're on the, like our bottom uh, third of the episode here. I think we should do another grab bag. Okay. Another grab bag? Yeah, grab bag. Let's see what else we got in here. Oh, here we go. Rummaging. Rummaging through. You know, many people listening to this episode aren't really familiar with uh, ganja or marijuana. Um, you probably don't smoke it. You might know your kid, your your nephew, your somebody, maybe and you did in high school. Um, but uh, it is the same plant as hemp. And uh, there, there's, there's really only one difference. You know, uh, marijuana, ganja, it just has THC in it. And, of course, hemp doesn't have it. It has 0.3 percent cbd um i mean 0.3 thc or less makes it hemp i hope like our our rampant ganja smoking doesn't offend you um if you're a, a hemp smoker that's that's not associated with this if you're just into it for uh the economy of it all there's nothing wrong with that you know but hey at the end of the season when you see those beautiful buds glistening in the sun just think about pulling one down, drying it out, and rolling it up. Just, you know, enjoy the fruit of your labors, brother. So what'd you decide to get there? We got gelato. 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 Do we have gelato over there? Yeah, gelato. Oh, shit. Well, awesome, man. Roll, roll up the gelato. In process. In process, brah. Uh, so uh, is, is we, we see most people growing hemp outside. But we also see it in greenhouses and indoors and people doing it all types of ways. Uh, but but primarily we're talking like outdoor agriculture um, and they're growing this hemp for extraction. Some people are growing it for smoking, which uh, I think is a great, great thing. But extraction and it's all types of extraction people grow it for. They grow it for crude extracts. Uh, to put into edibles and um, kind of unrefined products. And then they they have more uh, distillate type uh, products, which is a crude oil that's been like distilled just a, a little bit more down. This is the most simple way to explain it. Um, I'm no chemist, that's for sure. Um, and then they, they have uh, more pure products that they call isolate, where they isolate the CBD compound. Um, there's also people that are, are making water extraction with hemp. There's people that are using, making really high end, fresh frozen butane extraction with hemp. 
there's there's more than one way to do it for sure. It's just uh, you know where your market is. As always, if you it takes a buyer and a seller to make economy, and you can have the best idea, you can have the best product, you can make it for the cheapest. But if you don't have someone to buy it, then you don't have economy. If you're a buyer who's got money in your hand and you can't buy what you want, then you can't also complete that cycle of this this cycle of economy. And you know, I really love business and and I love growing plants and. Uh, there's there's nothing wrong with business. Uh, people often say it sourly, but uh, it, it is how you know the world goes around. How you know we pay for the things we want, and I find it really satisfactory to be an independent business person. I own several businesses in this area, uh, Cultivate Colorado. We've talked about uh, growers potting soil. We've talked about on numerous occasions. I really in, enjoy uh, helping people grow. And building products to help people grow. Yeah, man, roll another one of them sweet ones up. That was one of the first, one of my first weed dealers. That was one, what he said after we bought a sack. He was like, hey, man, why don't you roll one of them sweet ones up? <laughs> I love a good Swisher Sweet. Swisher Sweet. Yeah, you roll a good blunt, too. That's Jeez. for sure. Whatever, whatever the canvas is, I'll make a masterpiece. The canvas of cannabis is a masterpiece. I've even been known to uh, roll a Madrone Barkley, you know, in, yeah, in de- desperate, desperate times. Desperate times. Northern but, California. Uh, yeah. The Indians used to smoke out of Madrone Bark. More like someone just left us somewhere with, you know, no papers. And like, hey, watch two this. Two matches. And, yeah, here's some matches or a can of gas and a battery. Yeah. <laughs> Someone who was that? <laughs> it wasn't me. That was not me. No, no absolutely. No, it not. wasn't me. No, you always, you know, always the, utmost, you f- the utmost hospitality. Yeah. Oh, with a, a full fridge and uh, a fine jar of weed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, man, we've talked about genetics. We've talked about how people propagate. We've talked about irrigation a little bit. Man, let's talk about fertilization and pesticides. Yeah, man. While, while you uh, pass that sweet one around, man, I always get really southern when I smoke a joint. <laughs> man, how how are people doing this? Um, there's a few different ways people are doing it. I'd say there's there's probably two ways that are very popular that we see all the time. A lot of people are doing like a soil analysis of the soil yeah. they're going to be planting into. We do these all the time, right? Absolutely. You send it off to a scientific soil analysis lab. They're going to come back and give us basically ratios for different amendments you need per acre at what desired depth. Organic or synthetic fertilizers, right? I mean, a lot of them will just tell you what you need, and then you can choose if you want organic or synthetic. Yeah, right. They'll just tell you the pounds per acre, and then we can calculate that for you. Exactly, especially to adjust pH, too. In Colorado, that's huge. A lot of They'll tell you exactly how much you need to adjust your pH to 6.5 to 7.0. Man, you know, the number one thing we see is uh, uh, gypsum. For yeah, sure. gypsum is the best way. In, in 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 Colorado, like when people do a soil test, they need basically two th- three things: gypsum, or organic matter, and nitrogen. Every time, right? Almost every time. Sometimes I've seen people that need phosphorus. I've seen people that need other things too. Yeah, but it's but it's always those for sure. Almost always nitrogen, organic matter, and one hundred percent. Which gypsum. there's, I mean, there's 
very easy and cheap and effective ways to get all of those into your field, especially if you're right. preparing a field to plant in, you're going to have to till it anyways. Yeah. So why not just till in the amendments that are going to create the soil that you need to grow the plant that you're trying to grow? A million ways to do it. You can do it with cover crops if you got time. Absolutely. You can uh, spread uh, chicken manure over it or steer manure over it if, if you can calculate it out appropriately. Um, I, we, we, I'm a really big proponent of chicken manure. If I it's mean, a earthworm castings, they get expensive fast. Yeah, There's, totally. That's just not, we, we hear people. I mean, I've seen people with quotes for, you know, $2 million worth of amendments that you're like, man, I don't think you need all that at all. Yeah, really? How much? Hey, that's a good, that's a, how, remember that one? The guy who literally had almost $2 million worth of amendments. $2 million worth and of amendments. He was being recommended $200,000 for 500 acres. And yeah, that was still totally. high. That was still giving him. Yeah. More than he even Way really needed. more because he, yeah, exactly. But you can throw everything at it, but at the end of the day, it's what what are you trying to produce? What are you trying to grow? What are the inputs you're trying to put in? And what are the outputs you're trying to get out? Man, I think our most um, organic wise, the, the cheapest and most popular organic amendment is a blood meal and bone meal. Absolutely. For nitrogen and phosphorus, potassium, gypsum, organic matter, like your best option is to get some type of sawdust and compost to do your ahead of time. But, but if you're if you don't have that and you're stuck getting something now, peat, you know, peat, cocoa. Yeah, peat comes peat in cocoa. large compressed bales. But peat, you're talking truck, you know, semi truckload per acre of peat or cocoa, probably to just here in Colorado. That's a common yeah, number. Yeah, to we cut talk into, about. especially if it's thick clay right. or yeah, because yeah. there is a myth about hemp, and it's not really a myth. You can grow that shit anywhere, right? But it also thrives. In awesome soil. Absolutely. You still have to feed it and it still has pest pressure. And that was the main misconception, I think, originally here two or three years ago. It was like everybody thought it. you didn't have to feed it or that you weren't allowed to feed it or. Yeah, you can't feed anything. I mean, because that's Not the true. other way people grow it is they don't test their soil. They don't do anything. They just, they just plant just it out it. there and it grows because it will grow. Yeah. But if you're starting with that as your template, and imagine that's really if you probably give the cheapest advantage. way to do it. Oh, it is one hundred percent, and that's the whole thing. Is you can do it. You could do it in your backyard. Just dig up. You know, you could dig up the ground, do a couple rows, go get yourself a license. Mm-hmm. No problem. But you could always do it better. Yeah, you can. And with do this industry, more. it's growing at such and a it rapid is yields pace. Per acre, whether it's five hundred pounds an acre or eight thousand pounds an acre. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you put something into it, then you will get something out of it. And even the guy that was going to put two million dollars worth of amendments in it, he'll still make money. He's still going to come out making something out of it because right now it's i mean it's a free-for-all and the more you could plant the more you could sell yeah totally. kind of mentality not to say that that's 100 percent true but that's the mentality of the no, market well what's what's the price per pound of hemp right now i mean i think right now it's kind of the off season because yeah. everyone's sold it. it's back up to you it's know up. 40 50 maybe up to 60 dollars for decent extractable hemp yeah because everything everybody has left right now is you know brown frown brown frown yeah Mm -hmm. or it just never was worth a shit in the first place definitely expensive though to supplement the field it's something that you have to think about for for long term like you know throw out some can do you have any prices per acre ideas of what people can spend I mean, it could, it could go. It all depends all, on the land. It could be from all over the place. You know, it really I mean, could. Thousand dollars well, per then, acre to five thousand, ten thousand, fifteen thousand. We had that sixty acres last year, and that was three thousand dollars for gypsum for sixty acres for just gypsum for just gypsum. Yeah, and that's the that was the cheapest mind direct yeah. product that you could get. Right? Mm-hmm. 
And gypsum is probably one of the cheaper ones that you yeah. put in anyways. But I mean, it really depends. You know, there's a lot of pre-mixed amendments that I, I personally like, especially if people are trying to go a more easy route. Um, I know Down to Earth makes a really good all-purpose. I know Key to Life, they make a hemp dressing, field dressing. But it's like on that, you still need to do a little bit of the science because what it says on the bag is, you know, 400 yeah. to 800 pounds per acre. And that could be a huge variance depending on where you are and what your pre-existing soil is. Yeah. So also, like if, you, if you're renting land, you know, you're just building the soil for someone else. Like there's there's something to think about. And it, it I mean, we've it's. We've seen as much as $10,000 an acre for people. Yeah, know? absolutely. But, you know, you do amend it that way and you have really greatly improved your soil. And then next year you don't have to amend it like that. Exactly. Right. It's, it's, it, uh, um, you also get some, you know, cover plants in and, you know, just things start to change a little bit. So it's, I'm not saying it's a one-time fee, but it starts to be less every year and you build your soil. That's yeah, it's a long term. It's a it's a building of soil. Right. It's building a whole ecosystem right. in your field, basically. And, and if you do go that route, you should be doing cover crops and you should be. And then over time, it does become the cheapest. It absolutely does. Right. It uh, depends. Exactly. It's all the approach you're trying to go to. You know, you're trying to lay down synthetic nutrients from day one and feed for a year or two mm-hmm. and then move on to another piece of property or. Cause you can do that too. You can supplement your field with synthetic nutrients. And we've Absolutely. done that for people before. Also very popular, very popular and very inexpensive. Uh, and hemp does not have to be grown organic. It can be grown synthetic. Many people think that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be grown organically, but there is a huge market for the organic hemp. Yeah, and it's something that you should, you know, if you can, strive to, but synthetic agriculture is real and used responsibly. It is, it is, you know, how we're all fed in the, the world. And especially for, like... Even though I buy, try to buy all organic shit. I mean, I'm just totally yeah. talking shit, but, like, you know, synthetic fertilizer really is the most predominant way everything's grown in the world. It really is. And, I mean, at the end of the day, with what we were saying earlier, most of this is going to isolate extraction mm-hmm. and CBD being organic or being synthetic at that point really holds no ground. Yeah. And then, you know, you can, you can mix synthetic nutrient in your soil or the other che- even cheaper opportunity or even the, the, the cheaper method is uh, to feed it with liquid fertilizer. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. High grade liquid fertilizer high grade or high fertilizer. grade yeah, and you, you know, you, powdered fertilizer. It really doesn't cost that much. You know, one of the products that we uh, uh, promote, it's powdered nutrient. There's a two or three different phases of uh, the products. You use one at the beginning, one at the middle, and one at the end. But it's literally like five pounds an acre. I don't know. I'm just sitting here doing the math. I think that could mean something like $15 an acre. Yeah, it's yeah, right. Forty bucks for a twenty-five yeah. pound bag or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Cheap. Fifteen bucks an acre to to feed it, and you know, so yeah, you got a thousand acres. You feed it for fifteen hundred dollars, and that's something you also don't need to feed every time. So it's, you know, you're feeding weekly, maybe. Yeah, even. yeah, yeah. hundred acres, fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you would you would uh, I think I think feed it like monthly like that though. Yeah, not even, even weekly. Yeah, yeah, monthly like that. Uh, I can't remember what the instructions are, but their new instructions just came out. But if you're interested in those powder nutrients for hemp farming, man, that is one of the cheapest ways to go. Man, holy hell. You know, it's definitely more difficult. You definitely have to have a, well, you can do it a few different ways. You can have drip tape or you can just spray it on. 
Yeah, spray it. You can absolutely right. spray it on till it ain't even yeah, before you, you even plant. Yeah, you can spray it on, you know, on the back of your quad or truck and just ride through the field. Uh, you can inject it easily into any, you know, sprinkler system or drip system, right? Uh, it's synthetic and nutrient. So, uh, yeah, man, I mean, inexpensive, right? Uh, really effective. And, you know, speaking of spraying stuff, it's like you can spray organic product like fish emulsion and kelp. Oh, really amazing. inexpensive, really, to, to give by the acre. Especially on your young plants. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think there's anything better you could spray on your young plants than kelp or fish emulsion. Yeah, totally. It's just the plants love it. Yeah, and, you know, kelp, fish bone meal, and uh, fish, uh, fish emulsion or fish hydroslate, like those three things, like really are some of the cheapest and easiest way to, to grow organically with liquid or supplemental fertilizers. Yeah, I think that's the main thing to take away from it is that everyone thinks they're restricted in what they can do. And but they're not. You can do it anyway. You can do it anyway. Yeah. Totally, totally. So most of it is outdoor, but there's some greenhouse and indoor oh, stuff too. Oh, there's some greenhouse and there's some indoor, but that's growing rapidly and people that are transforming yeah. old nurseries into greenhouses mm -hmm. and old chicken farms into greenhouses. and like, Yeah, goat farms. Yeah, and people are actually growing more, like we said earlier, high-end hemp flower and people are focusing on more breeding projects that you mm -hmm. don't necessarily have to do indoors, but are a lot easier to control indoors. Yeah, totally. That's probably almost all hand-watered or drip irrigation. Probably drip irrigation. Right. Most likely, yeah, pressure compensating buttons, something mm -hmm. like that. And one main drip system. Containers of some sort. What, containers at some point. What's, like, what's the most popular setup we sell? It really depends on what, you know, if you're, if you're going for something that you're going to like have a sea of green that you want to pull... 500,000 clones from, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to want some sort of probably four by four, whether it be pot with cocoa or cube, mm -hmm. see a green style, pack them in as many as you can, get mm -hmm. as many clones, as many tops as possible. Right. You know, more tops, better clones, and better people propagation. People are growing in containers usually when they're in greenhouses and not in the ground. And not in the ground. Absolutely. You're growing right. in containers, growing on rolling benches, which are amazing because you can maximize all your space. You no longer have to account for an aisle that's permanently there. Oh, yeah, man. You can move benches. it side to side. Incredible. You can basically have a sea of green full of whatever you want. Right. Which is also why I like the drop down sprinkler irrigation for especially small plants. Yeah. After a clone, as soon as they have a root. Boom. All the way up through early veg. I mean, you can drop down irrigation sprinkler on that thing and save yourself a ton of time watering. And in terms of cost, very inexpensive to set up. You don't have to be any sort of pro to set that up. You know, a quick 15-minute talk and a little dry diagram and you'll be off and going. We've been selling lots of growers. Oh, yeah. The, the growers' high porosity soil has been huge, especially was, amongst hemp farmers. I was a little surprised about it, actually. Uh, but these seeds that people are planting are expensive. It's and a really high value product. Absolutely. And the thing with a lot of potting soils is they do hold a high nutrient charge. And sometimes it could be too high and it could burn a seed right from the beginning. Or you could have the seed pop and suffer right away or a, yeah. a plethora of different things. But Whereas the growers is neutral. The grower is completely neutral. There's nothing in there. It's a little bit more, little, a little bit more high porosity. Holds a little less water. So when you water it, it's not going to dry out in one day, maybe three, yeah. four days. It's going to hold enough water to actually encourage the root to grow down towards the bottom. Whereas even in rock wool, it takes a little bit more touch and feel because mm -hmm. you really want to promote that root growing downwards. And if it 
the media is too wet or too saturated, it's going to hit that water barrier and just slowly, slowly make yeah. its way down as the cube or pot dries. Yeah, temperature for sure where it hits the water. You know, we built that product for, you know, people to pump it with nutrients or mix it with organic nutrients. Uh, we built it as a high-performance potting soil. In the Denver area and then the region around here, it is inexpensive, I guess, compared to other products. But I just never thought hemp farmers would be, you know, buying so much of it. It's great. It's also clean, too. That's another thing. Like um, everyone's going to be, there's bugs outside sure. naturally, but the cleaner plant you we can try. put outside, you know, the cleaner plant you're hopefully going to have at the end. Yeah. Which absolutely. is always a huge battle, especially when you're growing, especially when. You know, a lot of people that are doing hemp, it's their first time doing large-scale agriculture. Right. Now, so so in in the greenhouses, people are still planting in that same manner with still making clones in the same manner, still planting seeds in the same manner. And then they transplant it into like a four-inch or a one-gallon and then go into a larger pot. Is that what's happening? Uh, Yeah, like for the finished product? Yeah, for a greenhouse, greenhouse product. Yeah, I'd say a lot of people are probably growing in a five-gallon pot, seven-gallon pot, finishing in those, growing very traditionally just to how you would be doing large-scale commercial mm -hmm. cannabis. I mean, right. people do do uh, Crowdan in some of those greenhouses, but I'd say most popular is five-gallon, seven-gallon, three-gallon if you're really trying to pump it full, you're, uh, full of nutrient. And mm -hmm. it, like I said, once again, it, it really all depends on... What you're, if you're going for seed crop, are you going for right. smokables? Are you going for extraction? So it's all over the place, really. It really is all over the place. Do we have a number one pot we sow? Five gallon, without a doubt. Five gallon, without yeah, a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. Right. Yeah. Five, five gallon, gallon traditional nursery pot. No matter who it is, hemp or ganja. <laughs> no matter who it is. Yeah. I mean, right. one gallon, we probably sell the highest volume because right. so many people have to use a one gallon right. pot. Right, right. But in terms of people flowering, I'd say five gallon. Five gallons, seven gallon are the two most popular. Three gallons catching up because people are starting to learn that, hey, if you can really dial in your water times and you yeah. can feed your plant maximally. Three gallons is less soil. Three gallons is less soil. You can feed it more. You yeah, know, totally two know. gallons is less soil. You can feed it more. It's going to it's gonna keep going that way where people are really going to dial it in. and Oh, I agree, man. Maximize the smallest pot with the most waterings. And oh, I agree, man. Man, when you get those pots really like root bound to, you're able to just pump it. Oh, you can't just feed it enough. It, you know, yeah. and you get those soilless mediums becoming like really hydroponic style producers. Oh, right? 100%. And I think yeah. people are really starting to change the way they look at it. Because all the time we have people that are feeding rock wool or something, they start feeding cocoa in the exact same situation. It doesn't quite work. And it's, it doesn't quite work. But once they finagle it mm -hmm. just a little bit, they're getting bigger yields or, you know. Mm -hmm. They're maximizing more off of less. They're being able to reuse the pots instead of throwing the whole cube away. Now, do we do we have is there is there a nutrient that most people are buying the hemp people that most people are buying or, for the or it's just all over the place? It's too. all over the place. Right. But it's also something that I mean, this year there's so many more people growing hemp, and the way people are kind of planning their whole schedule has right. been sporadic. So I don't think a lot of people have even thought quite about like, oh, what am I going to feed this? Right. A lot towards... of people just hopping right into it. They're hopping it. right into it. And the first thing they think about is, hey, I need to start doing clones, you uh -huh. know, or I need to start popping seeds or right. I need to do this. And then the whole thought of once it goes into the field is like, you know, there's an idea behind it, but it hasn't been executed yet. So of course it's going to work a hundred percent. Right. So, man, do you, you got a you got a hemp farmer success story you could tell me. I know, I know, out of the hundreds of customers that we have, you got like a customer you know of that like 
you, you've seen you've do well or you've seen like you know struggle you got you got a story for me i mean out of everybody i'd say i haven't seen anybody fail 100% okay you know i'd, I'd say a lot of people are able to manage it's a new industry. A lot of people, myself included, I've never grown a field crop before. Mm-hmm. So of course it's like, I want to think since I've been growing weed for so long that I can just jump right into it and mm-hmm. I know everything. Mm-hmm. And you jump into it with that mindset and it slaps you right in the face because I mean, mm-hmm. just me, me personally, right when we first planted, we thought we were planting out late our first temp crop, you know, middle of June, almost June 22nd, something like that. Mm-hmm. Day after we planted terrible hail, hailstorm everything dies you know everything almost everything we're, we're left with a you know three quarter acre out of two acres that we planted right and it was right from the beginning you know like oh that was the one thing we of course we didn't see that coming and everyone's saying you got to be out right after mother's day and you know we're out six weeks later and everything still dies yeah so it's like it's right, right from day one it was like oh okay this is going to be different you know like yeah absolutely you know there is something to planting late, plant more plants that are smaller. 100%. You know, every, you know the, a fallacy people have is, I'm going to grow the biggest plant. But man, those big plants fall over. They break. They, you have like, to actually trellis them. You don't want to be doing anything you like that when you're anything like that. When you're in a large scale agriculture like that. Right. And honestly, like one thing that shocked me pretty hard was, uh, we we had some plants that we had been vegging and taking taking clones off of, or we had been vegging, got them a little bit bigger. The plants that we put in the field larger ended up the same size yeah. as the plants we put in smaller. Totally, and you Just, put all that energy. We into put it. all that energy into everything and thinking we were so smart and we're so off. And then you put it in there, and the plant that you put in at eight inches ends up four feet, and the plant you put in at two feet ends up four feet right. and you're like oh, okay maybe there's something to the eight inch plant and totally there's all of kinds of strategies but my opinion like if you have a 12 inch clone or a 12 inch plant like june 21st like that's about like as big as you want to get it and it will get if you get it that it they'll get fucking huge huge with huge. the big ones i mean we saw neighbors we had that were planting out you know two three weeks before us mm-hmm. you know as we drove by we're like oh we got to get it out there and at the end of the year we had plants bigger than theirs yeah, that we totally. planted out you know weeks that later solstice period really is like the premium planting period and i know people are going to tell me wrong and you do it all different ways or whatever and like, it all depends on where you are too all depends on where you are every season is different here in every, colorado it's i mean like yeah. i said i've been rocked by the hail <laughs> early summer so i've you know now i've right. learned from that maybe cover something before and Wait for it to actually stop. Well, I mean, you know, like all over the country, like, you know, June is, is often like bad weather. Yeah. You know, uh, but it's also about that photo period change too. Right. And, you know, with hemp farming specifically, you want lots of smaller plants because it's, it's easier to harvest the, the, the large plants, the wind and the rain break the branches and, you know, they get so big, they topple over and it's, you know, it's kind of this cool ego thing to see, but you really want the smaller plants. Yeah. And that also brings up kind of another side thing that you said, kind of neat thing people have seen or things that are bad and, but I know in Colorado and other places, don't grow more than you can dry. 
because mm-hmm. it is easy to Don't put the plant out. <laughs> there should be a song yeah. about it. Because here, 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 let's wrap it out. There's, there's just a handful of rules to follow. Number one is don't grow too much that you can't water. It's hard to wrap your head around that, but it really <laughs> is. Yeah, too much that you can water. People do that too. I've seen people do yeah, it out in Colorado multiple one. times. They get to the middle of July and yeah. oh, they have no more water. The well's dry. <laughs> Yeah. Same Number thing with drying it. <laughs> don't grow too much where you can't dry it. <laughs> That's, that is another big one that, I mean, I saw out here in Colorado. You can dry it in the field here if you're lucky. If you're lucky. But that's the whole thing is. If you're lucky. The weather can change on a dime. And yeah. you can have four days where it's sunny and you can cut it down and dry it in the field. And then two hours after you cut it down, it's raining. Cold, and then, right. you know, then you're in a world of hurt. How are people drawing it? Big steel frame buildings. You can do it very primitively too. You don't necessarily need something with four walls. And I mean, ideally you would, but if you're going for extraction, you can have a big open frame building as long as you have something to protect it from Mm -hmm. getting rained on, from Mm -hmm. changing humidity back and forth, from, you know, just getting to completely destroy the elements. Cause I mean, like I said, you, you could dry it in the field, Mm -hmm. but then you're putting a whole lot on a could yeah, totally. at the end of you know, you work for five months just to cut down a plant and lay it in the field and hope it doesn't rain. Yeah, there's all types of kilns and and whatnot. But the speed uh, dryers, the technology behind did. that is awesome. Yeah. yeah, people are going to utilize that to its fullest capacity. But right, and harvest technique. Some people freeze it and extract it right then. Right. Oh, one hundred percent. People are doing fresh frozen. Yeah, yeah. There's green extraction the way they just cut it down and extract it right then. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's there's many techniques, but uh, the most predominant one we see is people cut it down and let it dry in the field for a couple of days, and then they like fill their hot barn up with and dry it at ninety degrees, hundred degrees temperature. Yeah, right, and then move the next wave in, break it down. And that also is something that I mean I've seen people in the past not account for in the beginning because oh, they yeah. put all their costs into oh this is how much it's going to cost us to produce the hemp, and then they get to the point where it's produced and it's like oh, we need this much area to dry. You know, you have 50 acres all of a sudden. You can't just go put that in a steel container. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt, man. Um, and we, we've... <laughs> I mean, you can. You just need a couple. Yeah, you need a multiple yeah, yeah. steel containers. <laughs> and yeah, all of a sudden, key, you got 50 grand in steel containers. on the hustle is, is on the hustle to dry it on a large scale like that, to dry it in stages, so to speak, right? If you can... Cut the plant down, get it semi-dry, and then cut the buds off of it, and the buds will dry significantly quicker, right? It, it takes a little bit more labor to deep, you know, bud the stems uh, when they're green, when they're dry, they come off a little easier. And there's a lot of machines now that are automated, like the mother bucker and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, or there's stuff you can make even. Like, oh, 100%. You know, if you're creative, you can, you know, mm-hmm. cut a bunch of holes in a wall and just pull them right through the wall. Yeah, yeah no <laughs> doubt, right? <laughs> yeah, there's always, there's, there's a bunch of ways to do it for sure. We have talked about propagation. We've talked about genetics. We've talked about planting the seeds in the field we've talked about the three primary fertilization techniques we've we've kind of gone into like harvesting this has been a really good like overview of how our customers are are doing it yeah i'd say so i think we touched a little bit on on basically everything 
you know, there's so many people that get, that ask us these questions almost every day. It's hard to get anybody on the phone anymore, but like, <laughs> yeah, it, it is, it's awesome too. I love it in my position just cause I get to, I get to learn every single method. Any, if somebody wants to try something and they call me, and say, Oh, I thought about this. I get to go and find it and learn it. And yeah. And at see least if they work for and them. See if it actually works. Cause a lot of stuff is no, snake oil. Work. I mean, yeah. a lot of it really is. And everybody's got their magic and everyone who's ever smoked a joint or been inventive have had developed this like special, like, Oh yeah, I can do it this way. I can make a million bucks doing this. It's the same way with hemp. Oh, and if there's anything I can give anybody a piece of advice is don't get conned. The, the con is real and they have, the there's stuff real. you could buy. That's just an agricultural piece of equipment you could spend 15 grand on that they're going to charge you $75,000 for because you're growing. And we hemp. sell this type of equipment too. Yeah, and we sell it for $15,000 and not yeah. $75,000. Yeah, right, right. You see some astronomical things come back because the people that aren't in it, they see it as, oh, they're just out there growing weed. They're out there growing dope. They're making money. They're making money hand over fist. That so they're going to. Greed. Yeah, that green greed. It's, yeah. It really is real, especially with the extraction machines and like. Oh man, I know it's like 10 times more expensive than it costs to make like a pressurized vessel. Yeah. You can go buy it from the company that makes it for, yeah. you know, 150 K, but they'll sell it to you for 1.5 million because yeah. it's going to produce you a billion dollars worth of crude. It's you know? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, just just, just be careful there, in what man. you're buying. You know, there's people out there trying to sell everything. And, and there's all, man, there's also a bunch of bad information about hemp. People have got like the Australian stuff, the Czech stuff, the like hemp for victory stuff. And, you know, that's really for industrial hemp and it doesn't necessarily apply to what's going on now. It's a completely today. new industry. It is. It's an industry that's, I mean, that's why so many people are interested in. So many people want to get in, especially on the ground floor, oh, because man, it's, it's something you can do in, you know, areas where they've had farmland that you can't make a dime off of. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden there's this product that, you know, if done correctly in the area and extracted yeah. to its maximum potential could change, you know, communities lives could change states could change oh yeah totally. everything man what what are the three big hemp myths three big hemp myths uh that is the same thing as weed and it gets you high yeah if you they, smoke if you smoke cbd yeah, you're gonna get just lit high just like you would be up to you one i hear a lot is hemp they're just males it's all males it's all, it's male all males absolutely right. you hear that one all the time too right. that's just that's just male cannabis yeah totally totally and and man, honestly, the third one is I, you. You don't have to f- fertilize it. Yeah, pro- probably in terms of growing right. it. Yeah, you don't have to fertilize. You just put it out there. It grows like a weed. Yeah, totally. which it it will, it will grow, but I mean, only to the quality of your land. Yeah, if that's only gonna, to the amount of the water. If you're you trying to actually it. make something out of it, you got to put a little something into it. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing you can just throw out there and it just grows. Yeah, man. Well, hey, uh, dude. Thanks, thanks, Jacob. I'm glad we got to hang out here, smoke a few joints, yeah, have a little podcast. Me over. Yeah, no, good you know, couple tastes there. Good couple of uh, uh, conversations we had here today. I know people are going to enjoy it. This is going to be one of the last uh, podcasts here in the Real Dirt uh, Studio locations. Sad, um, sad yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, sad day. Well, we'll, we'll we're going to rebuild a bigger and a better studio for next time. A little bit better time. mountain views. Better mountain views or Perfect. whatever, ocean views. Ocean maybe. views, mountain views. Maybe we should move this thing down to Panama or Virgin Islands or something. I'm, I'm all in. Yeah, you, Catamaran all, views. All in catamarans. 
That's right, the ridiculous, the wild, the crazy, and of course, the hemp and the ganja here on The Real Dirt. Thanks for joining me once again on another excellent episode of The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. If you love this episode, or if you hate this episode, drop us a line. Join us on Facebook and Instagram, The Real Dirt Podcast, and download and subscribe to The Real Dirt Podcast on iTunes. Hey, man, I know you guys uh, got other stuff to do with your time, and I, I really appreciate you You listen to me ramble. I, I really enjoy this. I enjoy talking to, to you. I enjoy when people from across the world and across the country drop me lines. If you really like this episode, yeah, man, just drop us a little line. Join us on, on Instagram, The Real Dirt Podcast, and, and say so. Uh, and if you see me out in public, number one, introduce yourself by saying, Hey, Chip, I love your podcast. My name is so-and-so, because people forget to do that all the time. And uh, I, I really like talking to people about hemp and ganja, but, you know, you, 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 we get so excited. I always don't remember, like, I, I, I don't get your name. So um, you already know my name, but I just don't know yours yet. So definitely say, uh, hey, Chip, my name is, I love your podcast, or that thing you said about ganja, fuck you. I'll even take that conversation, but, you know, we'll end up smoking out. So uh, love you guys, man. I really appreciate the time. Real dirt.